imagine you're doing a lot of these. Yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing one this afternoon as well at two o'clock. So, um, and then I've got uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday as well. So no, 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 no problem. Well, Crikey. get me and you done. Uh, well, you've got to plug this book. The Last Busby Babe, the autobiography of Sammy McElroy. As the publisher insists, we must call you Sammy McElroy MBE. Uh, but if you're an MBE, Wayne Barton should be an MBE as well. Well, Wayne Barton's been about for a long, long time, Johnny, and uh, he, he's a fantastic lad. I've known him a number of years. You know, he, he is a character. He's a Manchester United encyclopedia, uh, and it was we had we had good fun doing this book. We put plenty of hours in for over eight months. You know, no stone was was unturned. It really is. And thank you for writing this book. I know you'd already put an autobiography out, but I remember Peter Schmeichel said in his recent book, yeah, I wrote an autobiography after United won the treble. Uh, it had to come out because I guess it was a, he was a popular guy in 99. But you've lived a lot of life since 1980. 1980, Johnny, I wasn't ready to write a book, to be honest with you. I was still involved in playing. Uh, I was going at, at the time... Uh, Manchester United were, were, were beginning to have a little bit of a, a, a change of managers and um, I wrote the book in haste really uh, but this is totally different this is many years on from 1980 and I think the time was right when I actually decided we were in to do this and you, you follow uh, off the top of my head I think uh, Mike Duxbury has done one with him Danny Higginbottom uh, possibly Gordon Hill. Did he write Gordon's? I think Gordon Hill, yeah. The late Brian Greenough, definitely, because I, I did a forward uh, in that book. He has done a few footballers, Wayne. Well, I've had him in the football library. So the football library is every book you can imagine, every programme, every magazine, all the books about George Best, of whom I think there are more than any other football figure. It's kind of Bestie and Cluffy are the big two. Um, well, well, uh, Wayne's been involved, uh, involved in George Best. Uh, he, he brought one out not, too, not so long ago about George Best. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and what he said was it didn't want to... It wasn't about gorgeous George, where did it all go wrong? It was about the football, and I think that film, uh, which Wayne was also involved in, seemed to... It's very easy to forget that these guys were really good at their jobs. You, in fact, say, George Best spoiled my idea of normal brilliance. Um... And you would be left black and blue. At what point did you uh, consider sticking up for George Best? Because it, the era you played, and we should say you became, uh, the time, the longest-serving United player, you played for the whole of the 70s, and people know the name. Um, but uh, did you ever think that you would want to get involved in protecting George Best, or could he just protect himself? Oh, no, George Best could protect himself. And you, and you go back to the days where... You're playing on football pitches that were nowhere near like today. You played against football players who, as well as being talented, could put themselves about a bit. Ron Harris, Norman Hunter, Tommy Smith, John McGrath, all hard men, but also all men who could play and were characters. And best they came up against every one of them and was respected by every one of them. So that just shows you what type of player he was and what type of person he was. He could look after himself. Yeah. As I was asking that question, I thought, come on, this is George Best. He's, been, he's the Belfast boy. I remember when I was young, I had a compilation of uh, football songs. And there's, is it Don Farden? Played the tricks like a juggler. Yeah, the, the Belfast boy. That, that, yeah, the Georgie, Georgie, the Belfast boy. That's right. Yeah. And you never had a song about you? Uh, no, not really. The, uh, maybe some root songs by uh, uh, opposition supporters. But uh, 
nothing, nothing wrote about me, no. There was a, an Arsenal defender, Laurent Koscielny, and the chant was, he wants his own song. Laurent Koscielny, he wants his own song. There are certain players that demand songs about them. Who are Cantona? Gigs will tear us apart. Yeah, of course, Johnny, there was, there was songs and chants about, about you in my time. I mean, my chant that United was Super Sam. Uh-huh. Um, that was from the fans. And uh, every, every player in the team had, had a chant from them in those days in the 70s. One of the yeah. things that is great about your book, which is out on pitch, it's 1999. It's one of several books Pitch have put out about uh, United, many about Alex Ferguson or Matt Busby, who you met. You met both of those men. And that you are the last Busby Bay because you were the last man to be given a professional deal by Samat uh, at United. And it's 1969, Best, Law and Charlton. When the statue went up, or, or you, you go back to Old Trafford a lot as a pundit and an MUTV correspondent. When you see that statue, do you think of all those great moments from the 60s, from when you were a United fan rather than a United player? Without a doubt, well, I mean, that, that, that was a trilogy. One of the best lot Charlton. They were Manchester United, world-class players. Uh, one football club had three Ballon d'Or winners uh, at that time. And um, they were fantastic men. For me as a young boy to play alongside them, especially two of them in my debut, and I stepped in for one of them, Dennis Law, who was injured in my debut against Manchester City. Who, who were fantastic side at the time in the early 70s. It was just an honour for me to play alongside them and rightly so, uh, the statue of those three up there because what, the, what they achieved and what they did for the club over the years they were there. But there's a fourth figure reading this book that I just I noted that in 1973, and it's no surprise United went down, if you lose one, that's bad enough. To lose three at the same time was horrible, although although Bestie kind of was self-inflicted because he said, I don't want to play anymore. Yeah. Charlton retired and Law, well, we know what happened to Dennis Law. But John Aston, yeah. whom I read about because I've just written this book about the FA Youth Cup, and John Senior, John Aston Senior, seemed to be one of the pivotal figures, not as pivotal as Samat or Jimmy Murphy but or Wilf McGuinness, but he's kind of in that bracket, right? Oh, without a doubt, because John, John Aston Senior was one of the main men that looked after me when I came over from Belfast as a 15-year-old boy starting off my career. John was in charge of the youth facility with the facilities and the, and the youth team players. And uh, he was a fantastic man. He was football through and through. Also, he had his son there, John Aston Jr., playing for the team as well uh, at, at that time. Had a fantastic European Cup final, John Aston Jr. But uh, Johnny Aston Sr. Was, uh, was a key figure starting days at Old Trafford and, um, and and coaching me and telling me the rules and regulations, who you're playing for, what you represent. Um, he, he, he was a main man, John Aston Senior, a lovely, lovely man, great football man. I, I don't know if it's because everything's been written about Sir Matt and um, Sir Alex, but um, Wayne Barton, the aforementioned Wayne Barton, has written the Jimmy Murphy story. And the more I think about it, the more Jimmy Murphy... Uh, becomes as hallowed as Samat, and also something that isn't really known that I discovered in writing my book. Brian Kidd should be given as much acclaim as Sir Alex Ferguson. I just wanted to know your view on that because you must, because you you knew Brian Kidd when Kiddo <laughs> took the training in the nineteen nineties. Yeah. Brian Kidd came through the youth team ranks as well. Brian Kidd was a Nobby Staves, by the way. Yes, um, with people around that scene with the with the Beckhams, the Nevilles. 
Nicky Butts. Those uh, those players came through uh, Styles and Brand Kent's coaching, and and because that sort of group of players came through at that time to Sir Alex, you know, Brand was then promoted uh, to be an assistant under under Sir Alex, and Brand Brand did an awful lot of good work under on under Sir Alex Ferguson. In, in, in those nineties, you know, it, it, it was a shame that they, when when it came to the treble, that actually Brand had left the club to become manager of Blackburn, and Steve McLaren came in. Steve McLaren came in at the time and uh, and worked with Fergie and got the treble. But it was Brand Kid's work for me yeah. that did most of that uh, a, a, a achievement to win that treble. Brand Kid was a big say in that in that side. That often happens. Ron Saunders built the team, and Tony Book took Villa to. The, champ, the European Cup. Is Tony Barton. Tony, Tony, sorry, Barton. Tony Barton. I don't know why I said Tony. Tony Book's Man City, isn't it? Tony Book's Man City, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah that's right. That's right. Ron Saunders and, um, and, and, and Barton were gone uh, to lift it. But, uh, you know, as you, as you said about Kiddo and Nobby Stengs, they, they were tremendous figures for those young boys um, learning the trade at Manchester United and developing them to go on to work under Sir Alex. 4,100 consecutive youth games. It must give you immense pride to be part of that run. You were an academy product who made the first team at United as a, and as a Northern Irish player as well. Is there something at United that it's almost said to any manager, you must play a youth player? I, I, don't, think, I don't think you. you the, the, the statement is, Johnny, you must play the, a youth team player. If the youth team player is good enough, He's old enough. That was the matter with Manchester United. Age was never a problem. Um, it was your ability. It was your temperament. It's how you could handle training with these great players and also playing in front of an old Trafford crowd. Could you handle that? That was from Sir Matt uh, and, and obviously the Busby Babes way before that. That um, you know, if you were uh, if you were good enough, age was not a problem. You were you were through in and see how you cope with it. And um, that, that, that's, that's the way it was since I joined the club in 1969. I just wanted to know, you, you had goosebumps watching a game at the crowd. At what stage did the goosebumps settle down and it just became a job to play for Manchester United? How, after how many games? Uh, well, obviously, uh, when, I, when I first came in at 17 and 71, I had a run of five games. Obviously, Dennis was injured, I came in. If Brian Kidd was injured, I came in. That's the way it was in those first five games. I knew that's the way it was going to be. I'd be a little bit of a bit player right until, obviously, you get into the side and then you, you, you try to become established. Um, but as I said in the book, when I had those five games and then, unfortunately, I had a car accident which set me back a bit uh, for six months. And uh, so that really, that really knocked me back. And uh, I didn't really start being established, finding myself established, until I got into the team under Tommy Dockery. When I was fit, trying to get regain my fitness after the car accident, I didn't really feel established until the Tommy Dockery days. Under Frank O'Farrell, who gave me my debut, which was great, uh, but then the car accident, and um, Frank got the sack, and Tommy Dockery was appointed. I was in the hospital, as I've said in the book, when uh, when, when all these things happened. And um, Tommy Dockery came to the hospital bed with Paddy Crowland and said, we'll give you your chance, don't worry about it. And that's exactly what he did. That's brilliant. And the Doc, the late Doc, he must be having fun in heaven now, trying oh. to trying to organise the great football teams up there. But um, 
We'll get to the dog. I just wanted to pause on that car accident, which you will have talked about a lot. Ten years previously, after the Munich disaster, United's players were a subject of press attention just because these were the stars. Was there similar press attention on you? Would you have journalists either ringing your bedside or even turning up to get a story? Well, obviously, after you've been the first team uh, at a young age at 17, you do become a little bit, you know, I wouldn't say directly in the public eye, but, you know, being big clubs like a Manchester City, like a Manchester United, Liverpool and all these big clubs, once you play for any of them, at a young age, you know, people do start to recognise you and the press don't want to maybe phone you up and talk to you, maybe get a, try to get a story early and stuff like that. So, yeah, that, that began to happen after the debut. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and after 12 games, you're playing for your country, which is quite astonishing. Yeah. You and Wayne say in the book, this would never happen at the time. Uh, it, it, would, it was also rare to be married with a child at 18. I was just going to ask you, did you know any other players? with a young baby and a wife at um, 18 in, like, 1971? Not off the top of my head, to be honest with you. You know, that happened. Uh, it was a part of my life that happened. And, um, you know, being playing in the first team and then my girlfriend at the time uh, becoming pregnant, everything seemed to be going 100 miles an hour. And um, I wasn't on a lot of money those days, as I said, in the, in the book. And to, 50 quid a week. To, to then, yeah. And then to sort of run a house and away, uh, sorry, uh, away from the baby, it, it wasn't easy. No, but was what was easy, segue, was what the doc was doing. You say in the book, uh, when you have the ball, try to score. When you don't get it back as quickly as possible. We were so fit, it came into our game easily. Tommy got nowhere near enough credit for his contribution to football as a manager. I think that's probably true. I said in the book about... The great Pep Guardiola, when he was at Barcelona, was first really recognised as a manager to how he ran his team when they didn't have the ball. The way Manchester City do it today. They were one of the fantastic teams of getting the ball back once they lose at Barcelona, and now Man City's the same. But to be honest with you, Tommy Doherty and and, and our side in the 70s was doing that type of of work when we didn't have the ball. And... um, we weren't renowned as Barcelona weren't renowned and Man City aren't renowned of people in there who are going to kick you, uh, who are going to, you know, get the ball back by phys- physicality. It, it's their work rate that uh, Tommy Dock installed in us uh, to get the ball back. And uh, we were doing that in the 70s. And Guardiola added off to perfection with Barcelona, as he has now with Man City. But I, what I said was we were doing this in the 70s Tommy Duckery had the type of player, myself, Lou McCarry, Jerry Daly, uh, in midfield, who were, weren't renowned as tacklers, but because of their fitness, could hurry and scurry players when we hadn't got it, and that's how we got the ball back. Mm. And we defended from the front, Stuart Pearson, Jimmy Greenoff, behind us, Martin Buchan, uh, Brown Greenoff, uh, Stuart Houston, Arthur Robinson, Jimmy Nicholl, Alec Versailles, Big Alex Stepney and Goal. We, we all had that mentality working for 90 minutes. You, you niggled the opposition. I like that description Niggle. of the team. And a yeah. United team yeah. who niggles the opposition. Usually yeah. you're the niggalee uh, United. But yeah, uh, Big Al Stepney calls you the lungs and heartbeat of the team. I, having read The Last Busby Babe, which is the autobiography of Sammy McElroy, um, having read it, 
I'm very hard-pressed to say what it is you did for the team, because at one stage you were a creative midfielder who could attack like a Paul Scholes, and then you were a kind of Kante figure or a McTominay figure, breaking things up as a pivot. Did you? What did you play as internationally? Were you an eight or a four? Uh, first, actually, when I first started international football, uh, Lake United, I started off as a striker. And then, gradually, Tommy Doherty drafted me back in midfield when Jimmy Greenock came to the football club in the 70s. And that exactly happened in my international days as well, under Billy Bingham. I wanted to be re- renowned uh, as an attacking midfield player. I loved to go box to box. I was lucky enough to be quite fit and had a decent engine where stamina wasn't a problem to me, Johnny. I enjoyed running. I enjoyed going past uh, our forwards for flick-ons or or balls knocked over the top. I enjoyed that. And also I had a a quick recovery, which is great for a midfield player. So I was quite blessed to have that in in my game. And I loved loved to be involved in in attacking situations. I know that Rock musicians or comedians often say that they can't see beyond the first couple of rows. So if they're playing a stadium or an arena, the crowd is the crowd. But if you're playing in front of 120,000 people in the 1970s uh, for Northern Ireland against England, do you treat it as a normal day at work? Or was it quite astonishing for a wee lad who grew up, what was it, 10 minutes from a Catholic area and you had to go to a segregated school, segregated by type of Christianity. Was it surreal or was this what you were working towards? 120,000 people at Wembley, 55,000 people at Old Trafford. Oh, this is, you know, as a young boy from nine year old, primary school, Mercy Street, primary school in Belfast, uh, East Belfast, Bob Bishop, the legendary scout who got George Best, uh, Big White, say Jimmy Nicholl, David McCreary, you know, those, those players who had good careers at United. My dreams started at nine year old, Johnny. I wanted to I wanted to play football. I wanted to play for Manchester United at the time because George was beginning to sort of make a make a statement in those days in the in the in the sixties and having living that far away from me really, he he was one of the main reasons why I wanted to dream to become a footballer and to play for Manchester United was a dream and also obviously to play for your country. I must admit in the early days, my country didn't even come into the reckoning. It was just about playing for Manchester United. But obviously once you play for your team, you want to play for your country. And I just dreamed about that. But finally it came through and it was a fantastic honour uh, to do that. And don't worry, dear listener, we will talk about your time at an international level because I'm talking to someone who played at a World Cup, not just one, but two, not just played, but captained. So um, a pretty good at what you do. That's what I'm really interested in. What I've realised is that it's good to talk to people who are good at what they do, not because they can explain how they did it, but just kind of the basics of application. I read recently a a young footballer, I spoke to a young footballer, and he said, you've got to be a footballer 24 hours a day. Obviously, there were times, certainly in the 1980s, where you let your hair down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, that's very, very true. In our day, we had a social life. There's no doubt about that. And, and, and I enjoyed I enjoyed myself after games, as most of the players did. Social side of life was a big thing in football in those days, Johnny. There's no doubt about that. We didn't, we didn't get uh, the, the, the media attention, what the players are getting today. 
we did enjoy ourselves, but what we did do as well, we, we played hard and um, and we enjoyed ourselves to the limit as well. And that was that was the sort of the era uh, that I loved to play in. You know, we, we would play against teams that, that would be kicking lumps out of each other and then there the, would be our players' lounge after the game at Old Trafford where both set of players went in with friends and family and talked about the game. And that doesn't happen now, which is a shame. I hope we're in the postmodern era, because in the modern era, there's there was that case of, well, Sol Campbell. The treatment of Sol Campbell was just, people will look back and say it was astonishing that he was called Judas by loads of Spurs fans. My brother was there when he played his first game for Arsenal. And when you played for Manchester City, you ended up being booed by your own fans and very quickly you left because you realised it was a, a bum steer. And then, well, you, were, you got injured as well. But one of the things that you point out in the book is that in the 70s, it was two points for a win and one for a draw. It was less tribal. Fans were more likely to go to see George Best. It would, this was when uh, clubs split the gate money. So, so it was more likely that people would go and see a George Best figure because it was the big crowd of the season. Unfortunately, people wouldn't go and see young Sammy McElroy and add 3,000 to the gate. It was always Bestie or Charlton or Law. So it was just a different era. Of course it was a different era, but you see, I was brought up, Bones United, in 1969, the year after they won the European Champions uh, Cup. Best, Law, Charter were worldwide figureheads. Everyone knew them all over the world. And then, you know, as I say, United were lucky at that time to have those three fantastic world-class players. And you could look across the city at the time with Somerby, Bell, Lee, who were um, Manchester City's uh, main men. Yeah. Every team in, them in the 70s had characters. I'm not saying they had players like the players I've just mentioned, but the, one of them had a maverick, one of them had a, something in their team that people would go to see. Uh, like, a, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about a... A Stan Bowles, for an example, a QPR, and Alan Hudson. That every 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 team had had a character. A Tony Curry and a Sheffield United. Every every team, if they were bottom of the league, middle of the league, top of the league, there was somebody there that fans would go and want to see. A Frank Worthington, you know, uh, there was a great 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 time to play in in those days. Mm. Uh, you know, the crowds as well. Everywhere Manchester United went, home and away was a sellout. And that was great to play in that situation. Well, in 1974, I, I wrote down, the crowds fell. They didn't in 2015 when United weren't doing so well. So you could see empty seats at Old Trafford when you weren't doing well. And yet when United went down, thanks to that Dennis Law back heel, that is still it's astonishing that that could happen. It wasn't the goal that sent United down, but it was... No, no, no it wasn't. Dennis didn't send us down. I mean, I played in that game. Other results went wrong uh, that Saturday. I mean, Dennis backed even the ball into the back of the net and, wa- and walked off the field. He walked off the field. Once Dennis walked off the field, the bloody crowd came on and stopped the game. But results at other grounds sent us down. And um, you're judged over, and then there's only 42 games. Not just that game. 42 games, we weren't good enough. And um, we went down. Um, but really, as I say in the book, you look at it, that was the start, really, the comeback. The next season was the start of Manchester United rebirth for three years at least, from the second division right up again. It was unbelievable football. 
You say you went to Brisbane Road and it felt claustrophobic because hundreds or thousands of people were locked out. You say shops and pubs start to close because United were in town. It was a United takeover. And you got out within a season thanks to the dock and what he was doing. This must have been the best football that some of those clubs had ever seen. So what was it like playing in a team that you knew were good? There's only those. There's only those. I mean, every every ground was was packed to the the rafters. There was there was fans locked outside, and the atmosphere at every game was just electrifying. You know, we had that motto from Tommy Duffy then: "Listen, if we're at home or away, we play the same way. If the opposition scored two, we try to get three, and and that's just the way it was. And and the Ducks, that team." He brought Gordon Hill in on the left wing, Stevie Coppel in the right wing, replacing, obviously, a Willie Morgan who had been there for a long time. I played with Willie in my debut. I played with Willie for, for years, but the Duck then was sort of rebuilding a, a younger squad. He started bringing Stuart Pearson in. As I said, Gordon Hill, Stevie Coppel, you know, Stuart Houston at the back, Jim Holton at the back. You know, we had Alex Forsyth there, Martin Buck and Brian Greenock. The team was beginning to change, and... Um, that second division football was fantastic. Sammy McElroy, MBE, uh, which you got what for services to football? Services to football, 1986, yeah. Uh, obviously, the, the World Cup had a big part to play in that. 1982 in Northern Ireland, 1986 going back to Mexico. Now, I'm a, a Watford supporter, and one thing I know about Jerry Armstrong is that when Luther Blissett went to Milan, Jerry came in and help Watford finish second in that division. So, from someone who yeah. knows him well, what made him such a good forward? Jerry, Jerry is a fantastic, fantastic character uh, and a good friend. He was fantastic to be around. You know, in Northern Ireland, it was an international setup. It was a, it was like a club setup. Jerry played a big part in that. Jerry in Spain, when he when he put that ball past the Spanish goalkeeper Araguada in uh, in our one 0 win. Uh, that made Jerry, and um, he's never looked back from that goal to be fair to him. And, and I'm delighted for him because he's such a fantastic character. He loves to sing song. He would be the one that would start everyone off. And um, uh, in international the games, home or away, Jerry would be at the forefront of uh, getting the party going. Oh. Great, great character. Played loads of games with him for Northern Ireland. Delighted for him. He's, he's made such a success after that. Um, time in Spain doing Spanish commentary and um, and he's still working to this day travelling up and down Northern Ireland doing, doing football commentary great 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 character I know he went to Watford and Jerry was a he, he was a hundred percent there he um, he would run his socks off he would make it difficult for, for defenders and and he would give you the odd goal but you knew Jerry was around you because he would chase a lost cause and um, great to have about you God, that sounds great. And no wonder Elton wanted him at Watford if he likes the song. He's a probably better singer than Elton. Oh, um, wow. But don't, uh, don't tell Elton that. <laughs> or Jerry. <laughs> Look, I bet Elton yeah. wants to be Jerry more than Jerry wants to be Elton because the great thing about Elton, whom you may have met, you may have met Elton, John. I have, I have, I have met Elton uh, when he was Watford chairman. He actually beat us uh, in the FA Cup at Bridge uh, Old in January. They beat us 1-0. Elton came into our changing rooms after the game. I was the last one coming out of the uh, the changing room when, when Elton came in and I had like a five-minute chat with him. 
Uh-huh. Very, very knowledge, knowledgeable football man, believe it or not. And um, he was very, very, you know, pleasant and uh, nice to meet him. He he advises Watford's chairman on which players to get. He says, you've got to get Lee Gregory. He'd be perfect in this team. But what I think is happening to Watford this year is what happened to Man United and has happened over the last uh, 10 years. And I know you're asked this constantly because people come up to you in the street and go, hey, Sam, what's going on? But this is a team, United, it doesn't matter if you beat 10-0 because it just means that, and you won't get beaten 10-0, but it means that there'll be clicks and retweets and comment pieces. Basically, United are the Harlem Globetrotters of football. It doesn't matter if you finish seventh. All that matters is you get people engaging with the club. Although it'd be quite nice if you won the league again. Oh, listen, from, from the Busby days, right up until the present days, Manchester United supporters expect trophies at the football club there's no doubt about that you know Sir, Sir Matt did it you know uh, and, and then when Sir Matt left we, we had Frank O'Farrell uh, Tommy Doherty Dave Sexton Ron Atkinson uh, you know Wolf McGuinness and everything they got there and they knew all about the football club because you have to win trophies Sir Alex Ferguson did it unbelievably for a number of years and we're still now trying to get back to those days which is very very difficult and we're nowhere near, to be honest, at the minute. Nowhere near uh, the, the, the Fergie days. But Manchester United will always be the same, Johnny. They have to be successful. It's as simple as that. And um, at the minute, we're, 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 we're striving to be that. And that won't go away. 